Welcome back to another episode of Bathtub Full of Questions. We're here in studio, ready for another week. In studio, you mean in bathtub. In bathtub, that is what I meant. Thank you for the correction, TJ. Um, and we're just pumped up because this is uh, this is going to be a really exciting topic. It's something that stretches back all the way to our boyhood imaginations, so to speak. Um, yeah, I don't know. And it's based off of a TV show we both love. So, TJ, do you want to introduce the topic for this week? Yes. Yeah, so this week we'll be talking about Deadliest Warriors, um, kind of inspired by the show Deadliest Warriors. Warrior. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, we'll be talking about we'll each do four different warriors that we picked um, from history. Um, and Probably then, the gr- eight greatest fighters of all time throughout yeah. all of history, all of recorded human history. Mm-hmm. And then and a head-to-head grudge match. <laughs> yeah, we'll who will fin- come out we'll on fin- top? We'll finish with a with a huge bracket and see who will come out on top. Yeah, TJ and I actually got all of the ancient weapons, so we're gonna be we're gonna be practicing on each other, and that's how we're gonna test out who would win in what battle. So, yep. If you so, hear if you hear uh, screaming or ambulance sirens, it's because one of us needed to go to the hospital. Yeah, and then we'll uh, we'll just have to continue the the fights <laughs> at a later date. Yeah, or in the ambulance. <laughs> in the crash ambulance into each other (laughs) so yeah without further ado uh let's dive right in all right let's get started no point in beating around the bush let's talk turkey let's talk deadliest warriors in human history oh yeah so I'm going to start out with one that I think might make a contention in the final round of the bracket already. You're thinking past, past the Elite Eight all the way to the Final Four, maybe? Oh, yeah. Honestly, might even finish in the championship. Wow, okay. Let me hear it. Yeah, so this warrior um, is Conqueror of the Eurasian Steppe, um, the Mongolian Warriors. Oh. Yep, Mongolian riders um, under the great Genghis Khan. I actually just finished reading a book um, called Genghis, Lords of the Bow. That was um, really cool about his origin and his childhood. Okay. Um, yeah, but so the Mongolian warriors. Um, Khan's great horde. Yeah. <laughs> um, range from about 1300 BC to 300 BC. And they were... They had the largest empire in human history. Yeah, they terrorized. The they terrorized the world at that point in history. They yeah, they started out just as a bunch of nomadic tribes um, that were all over the Eurasian steppe, and they were they each had individual ones like different horse lords, kind of almost like um, Khal Drogo. Yeah, I think they're de- I think they're based off the Dothraki are based off of the Mongolian horde. Yeah, and so it was kind of just like that. If you, I mean. I feel like more people have watched Game of Thrones than maybe have studied the Mongols. Um, <laughs> uh, but it was pre-medieval Eurasian history. Yeah, yeah. but it was um, they were just individual tribes, some a lot larger than others. Um, but then, by the time Genghis Khan was coming into his own as a young man, um, his mission was to unite all the tribes um, on the, the steppe and unite them into one great horde to kind of conquer one it was in revenge to conquer for his father who had been killed by a member of his own tribe oh but then uh, or killed through conspiracy by a member of his own tribe i should say it was it was Uh, a political move yes yeah and so then genghis wanted to unite all the tribes so he could control the largest force that had ever been seen in the known world yeah the greatest army. and they just continued to ravage the land um all the way from china up through russia um all the way over um to and some and through part of the middle east as well oh. and so and their skills um lie in horseback riding and fighting from um up on like horses or ponies i guess and that allowed them to have a lot more speed um, than just the typical maybe um, foot-bound force. Right, right. Yep. And then also also very skilled in combat with a sword 
um, but their real skills lied in their distance, like long and mid range with their archery. Yeah, they're known for horseback archery. It was a very impressive. I, I heard you, even kids, young boys would learn at a very young age how to ride and shoot from a horse. Yep, yeah, and they would actually have competitions among tribes where once every couple years they would all they would get together and they would have um, horse racing competitions, archery competitions, um, and things of that nature. Just and people would come home and win. Um, based on whatever their tribe did that was the best. And so they were featured in Deadliest Warrior, I think season one or two. Um, and they they did lose, but I think it was because um, they gave the advantage to the opposing force. Hmm. Like they, they let it be, oh, they got snuck up on. But I think that the Mongolian warrior... Um, has a strong contest for the bracket. A crazy thing I heard, and 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 I'm not going to claim I, I'm. I heard it a long time ago, so I'm not going to say that I'm an expert on Mongol- Mongolian history. But what I heard is that so you mentioned that they were a horseback people, that they were a horse people. Mm-hmm. That sometimes Mongolian warriors would ride all day and all night, and sometimes uh, to prevent stopping, they would bite the back of the neck of their horse and drink its blood so they didn't have to stop to eat. Yep. Yeah. They would have, they, and then that was just one crazy. of the things that they did. Yeah. And they would have, um, like horse milk as like, like curds uh, as like, like food. And then, yeah, they would, they would like put a small nick in their horse's neck and drink its blood. Yeah. And then it would, then they patch it with mud and it would heal over. That's um, right. And that was also part of the reason. Like a little vampire bat on. Yeah. On the back of a horse. Yeah. And then that was part of why Genghis Khan was able to be so successful because they had pretty much the first version of the Pony Express to get messages across thousands of kilometers between different um, parts of the Mongol horde. Which is pretty much just cold and tempered grassland, like steppe. Yeah, so they would ride for so long, and then they would get to another tribe or another rider who would then pass the message all the way back. And that way he was able to control forces spread over a vast array of land rather than just leading one huge force to meet another huge force head to head. They would kind of harass and um, attack in smaller bits, a very larger arm, much larger army until they were able to break them down. And there's um there's a very interesting history too with, with Kublai Khan specifically and his meeting with Marco. Didn't he meet Marco Polo? I think so. And that was one of the first European contacts with, Mongolia and China. It's a very interesting period in history, sort of near the end of the Silk Road or maybe the beginning. I'm not entirely sure, but yeah, it's a fascinating period. Great warrior from history and great first pick, TJ. Um, I think I'm going to go with a little bit of a different kind of warrior. Um, One that I always thought was cool and was probably my favorite episode in the show. I'm going to go with the Aztec Jaguar. Ooh. So, um, as you know, the Aztec Empire was sort of the principal power in Mesoamerica from around the 15th century to the early 16th century until the conquistadors came and pretty much toppled it. It was a, it was a, it was very quick, right? It was mm-hmm. like within yeah. the course of a week. Yeah. Or something like that. Um, but, Which I don't know why you pick them if they were able to get conquered in a week. <laughs> hey, hold up, hold up. <laughs> what does Lee Corso say? Not so fast. <laughs> um, so... Basically, what the what the Aztec Jaguar were were they a, a an elite military group that were used in campaigns um, and also mainly to capture prisoners because uh. a huge part of Aztec worship they worship the sun and it's in a pantheon of other gods and uh, it's very interesting their way of appeasing the gods was human sacrifice so part of their job was to capture prisoners to sacrifice to the gods and it's really interesting. Um, they saw, they saw that capturing your enemy was more honoring to the gods than killing. They saw killing as clumsy um, because it was really the way to really honor the gods and your empire was to bring prisoners to basically feed the sacrifice machine. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that's very interesting about the Aztec Jaguars, so they're an elite military group and they basically commanded the respect and rule of aristocracy. But if you could prove yourself as a warrior, anyone from any part of the empire could become a jaguar. Oh, that's matter the background cool. that you had. Um, and they wore, uh, given the name Aztec Jaguar, there's a different warrior named the, e- the Aztec Eagle Warrior, 
but the Aztec Jaguar would wear Jaguar skin in a battle because they believed it gave them strength. So almost like Hercules with the lion's pelt. Right, exactly. Which that was that was one that was the Nemean lion, right? That was mm-hmm. one of his twelve labors. Um, so yeah. They were used in military campaigns and local skirmishes, but their greatest honor was capturing prisoners for live human sacrifice, which is pretty gnarly to me. Um, but in, as far as weapons go, um, short range, they have, it's called uh, the, the tech paddle. Um, and it's this, it's this knife actually used for removing human hearts. Huh. Um, so that's what they use for close range weapons. Um they also have this really cool weapon called uh, the Maquihutl, and it's this it's this wooden club with embedded in obsidian, so it's used for pretty much bashing an enemy's brains in. So this thing could do a lot of damage. That sounds pretty brutal. Um, and as far as long range goes, they had the Atlatl, which it, to give you a picture, it's sort of this long wooden stick with a with a nub at the end that you you notch an arrow into and you sort of fling it like. Um, you sort of fling it like I don't even know. Like you, like, like one of those. I've seen it before. It's one of those. Um, it's like a say, wooden plank that launches an arrow. Yeah, like, you throw it kind of like what is that? It looks like a half, like a crescent with like the wiffle ball in it, and you play yeah, with it. I yeah. don't remember what that's called, but that's kind of. <laughs> We're not having a lot of words to explain. <laughs> uh, what is a what is a uh, auditory medium? But yeah, uh, yeah. So that's what they had as far as long range. Now downsides collapse of their empire <laughs> yeah. which i mean that happened to the mongols too um but they were ferocious uh, you had to you had to spend years earning the right to um become an aztec jaguar and actually you had to capture 30 prisoners alive in order to be considered a jaguar so wow um, it was about proving yourself on the field of battle but that's crazy to me is they were they were this elite military group they're pro- basically the pride of the aztec empire but they saw killing as clumsy like yeah. their goal was to capture enemies which I think you could argue requires more skill to disarm oh. and bring an enemy back alive for human sacrifice like that. That that requires a lot of skill. So I, I think that gives the Aztec Jaguar a certain interesting edge. Yeah, I think definitely because if you're going to go, you can kill somebody with an atlatl from extremely far away. Those They're a huge like 10-foot spear mm-hmm. that is just getting launched at probably close to 50 miles an hour. Right. So, but to be able to sneak up and catch somebody um, and bring them back does require, I think, a lot more skill. And the way that the show referred to the Aztec Jaguar is the swift moving slayer of the ancient Mexican empire. So these guys were not a group to be trifled with. Very interesting. Well, going back to, um, well, I guess not going back, jumping across the Atlantic um, to Africa. Central Africa, to be precise. My next warrior is the Zondi warrior, mm-hmm. and they actually battled the SHA in the show. In the yeah, show. I just was going to say something. We didn't, we didn't know what we, each other were picking, but I guess we both really did like that episode. Um, but yes, the Zondi warriors uh, are descendants of Ethiopians, um, and they're in kind of the area that's present day Sudan and the DRC, the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And the word Azandi, which is what their name is based off of, literally means the people who possess much land. And that was because they were known for conquering tribes and Mm. conquering a bunch of area around them. Um, And they were known for their military prowess and then also the use of Iron Age weapons that were pretty advanced comparatively um, to some of the other things of the time. What what time in a- what time in African history is this? Um, this is about uh, after uh, probably about seventy thousand BC or so. Oh wow! I okay. believe yeah. So very Long much time ago. ago. Yeah, <laughs> but they were free advanced. So Iron Age weapons was one of their things. Um, one being the it's pretty Ma- remarkable, yeah. Considering what we know about African history, yeah, the makraka, um, which is a Zandi fighting knife. Um, then they had they would use a sword, and also part of the psychological warfare they would do is that they would sharpen their teeth to appear as if they were cannibals, like they were just like 
wild and crazy guys <laughs> that, would, that would attack you and eat you. Um, though they didn't actually practice cannibalism, um, but it was just kind of that uh, psychological thing that would really scare a lot of people. Right. Like, oh, I don't, I do not want to get torn apart by these teeth. And you see a lot of different warrior groups and warrior peoples throughout the centuries approach Use- psychological warfare and psychological battle in different ways. And mm-hmm. I'll talk a lot about some of the other guys that I have on my list that sort of not only use really advanced and interesting phys- like weapons, but also psychological tactics. Yeah. And one of the coolest things I thought about the Zandi people were that they were against the slave, like super against the slave trade while um, it was going on. And they were, they would fight a lot just to um, fight against the slave trade and make it um, like basically try to destroy it, Mm. which I thought was a really cool thing. And they still exist today um, as a tribe in Africa still using the ancient weapons um, of their tribes from so long ago. And that's pretty remarkable given, at least during the colonial period of Africa, the genocide of a lot of different local yeah. African people groups that they were that they were such fierce warriors, they were able to survive all, all that Africa went through and experienced for the last 2,000 years. Actually, also, my mistake on the date there, it was 1820. I was looking, <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at... Um, you the, said... 7,000 BC. Yeah. Like, I was how like, do we know anything about these people? Yeah, I never, that was um, their their predecessors, the Ethiopians of, in 70,000 BC. It looks but, like, I think bronze was a new idea back then. <laughs> yeah. Whoops. My bad on that. Um, but yeah, so their we'll weapons. We'll have a stern talking to with Dana, our, our information. Yeah, our information technician. technician. Um, but they also wore no armor and they would rely solely on their wicker shield for defense. Okay. So were these battling not only other African tribes, but European colonialists? Yes, I definitely would have been in that um, same time period. Wow. Okay. And so scramble for Africa. Yeah. Like that was a crazy thing. I mean, if you've seen uh, whatever that new Tarzan movie that came out a couple years ago with uh, didn't have the, the chance. Belgians. Was it good? It was pretty good. Okay. Yeah. Alexander Skarsgård plays Tarzan I believe um but I, th- I think it was a pretty good movie and it was a lot about um like the Belgians coming into Africa trying to like building a railroad to try to get um all of Africa like under their rule and connected um but yeah they, they cut straight through the continent into the Congo yeah so they would have come into contact with the Zandi warriors wow okay interesting yeah and the um their wicker shield would have been not very much of a deterrent, like I guess, of protection, but also the sometimes the lack of armor can provide for a lot more agility and quickness, um, depending on who you're fighting. Hmm, right, so right. I think that is that is a pretty good advantage. Um, plus, just their fierceness in battle and um, their psychological tactics as well. Yeah, because that offers its own unique benefit that you would you would not be restricted the the clunkiness of armor. And I mean, the knight has certain advantages. I mean, we're, the knight's not one of the warriors we picked, but just to talk about it briefly, like the knight and, and chainmail and armor, that offers a lot of protection, but close range, yeah, there are lots of holes very... in that armor. Like it, it, sometimes those, the weight of the armor can cost you your life. Mm-hmm. And we even see that in, um, even see, just to mention Game of Thrones again, when uh, sometimes you see, uh, at least in season seven and season eight, Dothraki warriors getting the best of armored knights because of close range combat. Yeah. But also you see <laughs> Jorah Mormont fighting Dothraki and they'll get and their just... swords stuck in their armor and he'll just like cut their head off. So yeah, yeah, it's just, it's just like anything. It's a, it's a series of compromises. Any, any approach to battle is a series of compromises. So interesting. Yeah. Okay. I mean, let's just, let's just drive the tribal warriors home before the, before the ad reading. Um, my next guy is the Mayari warrior, uh, the deadly slayer of the South Pacific. Ooh. So the Mayari were the, the, the indigenous people in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that's really interesting about them, so they're, they're a branch of Poly- – they're a subgroup of Polynesians. Um, they, they descended from the Austronesians who basically lived in ancient Indonesia. Um, and they arrived in New Zealand around 1280 AD, which is pretty remarkable because that makes New Zealand – the last colonized large landmass on earth. Oh yeah. Wow. That 
it wasn't until pretty much the Black Plague hit Europe that human beings had ever set foot in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that lends to a lot of their um, diversity in kind of in uh, plant and animal life. Right. Yeah. Because they were untouched for so long. So um, it was actually during the rise of a Polynesian empire, um, the Tuatonga, and that was a period of great exploration. So they landed in New Zealand, saw, met the 12, the 10 foot Moa, which was this indigenous, basically giant ostrich bird that lived in New Zealand and lots of other wacky things. Um, but shortly after arriving, um, as, as population increased on the island of New Zealand, resources became more and more scarce. Um, so they split off into tribes and became this great warring people. Um, so yeah, just a really interesting history, uh, to the Maori combat was sacred, um, and that it was a way to gain spiritual mana and prestige and honor your ancestors. So this was actually done by not only killing your foes, but cannibalizing them afterwards that it was a way of gaining their mana and gaining spiritual prestige and was a way of honoring your ancestors so war and combat is deeply important to the maori if you've ever heard of the haka uh we're talking about psychological warfare it's this deeply intimidating war dance that was meant to terrify their enemies yeah Um, if you've ever watched um the all blacks rugby team from new zealand they do that before every match or um the new zealand basketball team will do it Pretty much all the basketball the, pick? Yeah, like the like in the Olympics or oh. things, things like that. They'll just, um, yeah, they'll do the haka. And because New Zealand is very much in touch with their Maori history. Right. I just that's funny. I just can't imagine it being as intimidating in a basketball jersey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the sleeves out. I don't know. I just I'm just have maybe I just have a mental picture in my head that's not really true, but um so, yeah, and, and I think, so one of the first people to come into contact with the uh, with the um, Maori was a Dutch explorer named Abel Tasman. Um, when they landed in Golden Bay to resupply, they were actually ambushed by Maori that killed four of his sailors. But James Cook, very famous British mm-hmm. explorer, came, um, it was around 100 years later, uh, made contact with the Maori again. He sort of rediscovered New Zealand. Um and at first, the uh, at first the interactions with the Maori were hostile, but then they captured a few Maori warriors and released them to show they had peaceful intentions. And then they were able to come ashore and be friendly and begin to trade. Um, but just to talk about a few of their weapons, um, and what I think is really cool about the Maori and a lot of these different people is that they use sort of their environment, what was around them, and crafted them into weapons. So obviously, it's the South Pacific, it's Polynesia, mm-hmm. coral reefs, ocean all around them. So a lot of their a lot of their, a lot of their weapons are inspired by natural marine weapons and, and uh. the weapons of natural marine animals. So, like for instance, um, the uh, there was the um, there was the stingray spear. So it oh, was a spear that's... with a with a stingray stinger at the end, sometimes still having venom in it. Uh-huh, so so they, that's like they, a cool thing. They used inspired. that before even Steve Irwin got before <laughs> Steve. Ir- yep, yep. Uh, yeah, so the Stingray Spear, I thought that was always a really cool weapon. It's coated with venom, um, pierces the human skin. Uh, there's the Shark Tooth Club, which is also awesome. Oh, a club like, basically covered a big in shark teeth. That wood be, billy club covered in shark teeth. That would be intense. Um, I would run. And then there was, uh, so there's the Mary Club, which was the symbol of chieftainship. And it's this sort of, it looks like basically like a dark jade. Um, and it's a tear-shaped club that was used for beating. So it's made out of it was made out of nephrite jade, so it was a rare material, a symbol of chieftainship. But yeah, Maori were a fierce warrior people, um, and like you're saying, kind of like the Zandi warriors. A lot of their tribal traditions are still intact today. Yeah. So they're very fascinating people. Um, were at, went to war with Europe with the British when they invaded New Zealand. Um, had some successes, um, but yeah, yeah. The even today, New Zealand is one of the. Um, only really like developed nations that does that hasn't tried to completely erase like their native people's history. Yeah. And like they integrate a lot of the, the names of um, their street names, their town names, everything got into modern day life. And you'll have like Maori words that are intertwined in the New Zealand language and everything like that. So that's pretty cool, I think. 
Yeah, but um, that's it. Seems like a great start. We got four fearsome warriors out on the field. Um, maybe we'll transition to a quick ad, and then we'll talk about the rest, and then we'll get into our grudge match of all the centuries. Oh yeah. Today's episode of Bathtub Full of Questions is brought to you by Captain Thunder. Do you enjoy Dr. Pepper with a little bit less flavor that tastes a little bit worse? You're going to really enjoy Captain Thunder. Use promo code THUNDERBUDDIES for 5% off your first purchase. Thank you so much for that awesome ad reading. Let's get right back into the action here. Um, got Well, TJ, you want to kick us off with the second half of the list? We'll, we'll go through these last four warriors and then we'll get to the bracket. Yeah, sure. So here, a um, little bit more modern weaponry um, coming in hot, um, but it is a French musketeer. Ooh. Very different from the three musketeers that um, are on TV and everything. Um, a musketeer is actually any warrior that wields a musket. But um, the specific, the, specifically the French musketeers um, were created in 1622 by Louis VIII. Um, and they were basically his guard of personal bodyguards. Um, there were only 200 men, but they were chosen from like the most elite soldiers in the French army. From the French warrior people. Yeah, the warriors of France. <laughs> um, and then they lasted until 1776, which you guys may know is the American Revolution. Um, and it was act- they were actually disbanded because of the large amount of French debt um, from the Seven Years' War and helping us um, in the Revolutionary War. So at the fall of the Musketeers, America was born. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, and then so they were disbanded. I never thanked them for that. Yeah, thank, thank you. <laughs> thank you for your service. Um, and then Napoleon actually tried to revive the Musketeers to save his collapsing empire. But then only two years later, the fall of Napoleon <laughs> Just disbanded them. <laughs> you know, these musketeers are not having a great start being associated with all these collapsing empires. Yeah, they definitely are not. But they do have a lot of um, interesting weapons that put them possibly above some of the um, other warriors that we've dealt with so far. Just obviously modern weaponry, such as the musket um, and the pistol, kind of that, that makes there be such a large gap between. <laughs> kind of um i mean that's why weapons that's my europe was able to pretty much decimate the known world is through like guns yeah so that's make a difference yeah but these they were also um very skilled and trained um using the rapier which was their sword yep kind of like the fencing sword um and their dagger which was just a shortened smaller version of that um and they also wore steel armor to protect their torso. Right. Um, I think that may have been in the movie or many of the adaptations of the Three Musketeers. Hmm. Kind of like it looks a little bit when you look at it, maybe a little bit silly, but it's kind of just like the chest plate of a knight. Um, but then that's about it. Huh. Um, Wait, so the Three Musketeers were these were from this French elite French paramilitary group? Yes. Well, that's what that's what they're named after. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, and then they would also wear um, their signature cape and hat. But as <laughs> Ed, yeah, but as Ed, Edna Mode They're says, no capes. No capes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm seeing some big red flags with this musketeer. <laughs> yeah, capes got... and falling empires. Yeah. But um, they modern are. weapons? Yeah, they, they do have some modern weapons. Um, and they were very skilled um, in like sword combat. Um, and much of what the three or not three musketeers, but the French musketeers did has then then passed to the French Foreign Legion. Huh. So don't forget about the baguette bullet. Yeah, yeah, that's very <laughs> dangerous. Deadly. Yeah, triangular wounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, I think one of one of the musketeers' weapons could be just french cuisine <laughs> yeah like who's gonna attack the, you when you're crazy enough to be eating snails when you get a <laughs> when you get a whiff of escargot yeah <laughs> they like uh, they just start floating towards the sound like the smell of french baking yeah we conquer enemies with food <laughs> yeah so i don't know if they would be considered maybe one of 
the greatest, but like, they, have, <laughs> already, they, like, they, already. they do have some, they do have some interesting history. After you're them. done talking about them, they're like, yeah, I don't know about yeah, They're like, Musketeer. they're very mid. They could be a sweet 16. They could be an elite eight team. We'll see. Um, Since we only have eight. <laughs> only have, <laughs> everyone's already automatically in the sweet 16. So, um, sweet. Oh, wait. No, wait, we only have eight, right? I'm yeah, thinking so of we 16, only have eight. so they're so automatically. The <laughs> okay, cool. Um, my next warrior. I'm really excited about this one. This one's just kind of just cool all around. The Shaolin Monk. Um, and in the words Kung of Fu. Kung Fu, I love Kung Fu. <laughs> um, Everybody was Kung Fu fighting. Um, in the words of Eric Chen, Kung Fu master historian, the monk's skill is used to purge evil no more and no less. Huh. So um, the story starts, there was a Buddhist monk named Batuo who came to China in 464 AD. And around 30, 31 years later, after Batuo arrived in China, Zhao Wen, uh, a devout Buddhist and currently the emperor of that region of China, uh, funded the construction of the first Shaolin monastery in 495 AD. And Batuo was the first abbot of this monastery. Um, and he taught his monks Kung Fu. And what's really interesting is, so obviously, Buddhism is a very peaceful religion, but they were taught Kung Fu as a means of self-defense, uh, that the Shaolin Temple had so many expensive antiques and luxurious donations that oftentimes thieves or armies would attempt to attack the monastery. Mm -hmm. um, just to get all their goods. Just to get all their goods. So uh, they had, so th there's been this rich history of, of Kung Fu teaching to protect themselves when they traveled around China to protect their monastery. Because the really interesting thing is that uh, due to Buddhist beliefs, it prevents them from ever being the aggressor. So they oh, can never yeah. attack, but they can only defend, which I think is really cool and has a lot of honor associated with it. Definitely, um, yeah. And they have a lot of really cool weapons too. Uh, there's the two Ime piercers, which imagine they're like two metal rods with, with metal arrow tips at the end that are used for stabbing. Um, oh, okay. That's sort of a close range weapon. Mm -hmm. Um. There is their legendary staff, which I think needs no explanation. Yep. Um, kind of like Donatello from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's funny. You <laughs> thought of Donatello because I thought of Morgan from the Walking later seasons of The Walking Dead when he oh. uses his staff. Um, so, yeah, legendary staff. Um, also, they have twin hooks, which are sort of these two. Imagine they're kind of like swords, but you kind of palm them in your hands, and they have curved hooks at the end. Oh, um, that's pretty. So you can probably use that to catch blows from like in the hook part yep. of it, but then and also then, slice. Yeah, exactly. And to catch a blow and just to attack with the other one. Um, and the last one, which I think is the coolest is the whip chain. So it's basically like, think about it as nunchucks with darts at the end with the, like sharp metal darts at the end. Used oh for yeah. If anybody saw um, Shang-Chi and legend of the 10 rings um, that, that appears in there. That's a really cool weapon um, that I think would be, one very complicated to learn but also just so cool it's almost like a dance yeah no it, it 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 is a very cool ancient weapon um just one more note on the shaolin monks uh so one of their later abbots this was later his name was bodhidharma he spent nine years meditating at a cave wall so wow. these guys had more discipline than anyone else we've talked about yeah that is insane and discipline goes a long way when um, being being a warrior right so and an interesting thing so the shaolin blend or the shaolin brand of kung fu is still practiced today um and by shaolin monks so wow. that, that is a order that has survived the centuries so yeah that's my that is my third warrior that's pretty cool well also coming from um the asian continent my final warrior some consider this to be the greatest warrior and deadliest warrior in history, um, actually, Tetsuro Shigematsu, a samurai descendant. Well, I just gave it away. Um, but <laughs> it says, among the pantheon of warriors, the samurai is surely the greatest. Which maybe he's a little bit biased because he is a samurai descendant. But yeah, they do have ton of training, ton of expertise, and also, again, a ton of discipline. And so um, the samurai... In about the 1500s in Japan, 10% of Japanese men were samurai. Oh. Yep. And so samurai means to serve. And they served the daimyo, 
and protected their land. And so they were like local feudal rulers. Yep. Yeah. So samurai were paid in food or land um, to basically fight for their area. Um, And so they're, they had a lot of different weapons, but most notably would be the katana, their sword. Um, And they, I mean, it always seems on the history channel. They're always, you always see the katana. Like if you watch mm-hmm. the history channel just for one day, you will see it. I feel like 10 times. <laughs> yeah. Just whether it's on, or you watch in, Kill Bill. <laughs> yeah, what, yeah. Or Kill Bill, whether Forged it's on like himself. forged in fire or anything like that. Everybody's trying to make a katana or just showing how deadly this weapon was. Um, for killing pretty big rats. <laughs> yep. <laughs> there must be some big rats. But yeah, then um, like they would, you can see like a katana every time they use it can cut straight through a couple pieces of bamboo, just like with the right. super clean cut. Um, I remember in the show, so they use in the Deadly Warrior show, they use sort of gel torsos to, to test close range weapons mm-hmm. and it would just just like slice through. Yeah, like just butter. directly in half, like which is like butter. insane. Ooh, I can't even imagine. Um, but yeah, but obviously, um, as a product of time going on, um, the samurai eventually did become obsolete just due to modern weaponry. Um, and if you guys have seen the movie The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise, <laughs> they were they were a very formidable force, but just by the late 1800s they couldn't keep up uh, they would act they actually for a while refused to use muskets um anything like that as they were coming in just because of how traditional they were um but then with modern rifles gatling guns and cannons um the samurai kind of lost their political and military power um, and they do still exist today um as peaceful families and neighborhoods um, but obviously not as the warriors that they were before. Right. And that was that was a period of rapid modernization and urbanization known as the Meiji Restoration, the mm-hmm. end of the 19th century when Japan was really trying to catch up with uh, where they saw Europe and other more developed nations as being. So they very quickly sort of cast off all of these ancient traditions in, in favor of modern ways of thinking about armies and warriors and weapons. So like portrayed in The Last Samurai, um, mm-hmm. The samurai more or less went the way of the dinosaur, but a lot of samurai, like as you mentioned, a lot of samurais transitioned into entrepreneurial and professional roles, so mm-hmm. they didn't go away completely. So interesting. So to round out our elite eight, um, our hand-picked warriors from the pantheon of human history, I'm going to talk about the Apache. So oh. the terror of the Wild West, some might say. Um, so the Apache, there were six major Apache tribes in the late 19th century, mid 1800s in the American West. Um, and Apache warriors were known for using guerrilla tactics, uh, war cries, again, psychological warfare, ambush and brutality. Um, one of their leaders, General Geronimo, uh, fought the U S army for 36 years. Wow. So during the, they, they're called, they're referred to as the Indian wars, mm-hmm. um, following the civil before. Before and following the Civil War, basically, America's pushed westward, coming into contact with more and more First Nations and Aboriginal people that led to conflict and genocide. Um, but those that period of time is called the Indian Wars, and he basically fought back for 36 years um, and eventually became a prisoner of war and a, a tool for American propaganda. But again, these were a fierce warrior people. One of the most famous things attributed to them is scalping. Yep. So... Um, anyone seen? If anyone's seen a Wild West movie or Inglorious Bastards, or yeah, Inglorious Bastards, I need my scalps. I'm the direct descendant of the mountain man Jim Bridger. Um, so yeah, a few of their weapons: the tomahawk, again, cl- infamous weapon um, that was used for that was usually thrown or used in close range. Uh, the knife, uh, the bow and arrow, and the war club. And actually, so another thing we we haven't really talked about defense or armor. But they used a rawhide shield, but for the most part, they were unarmored, mm-hmm, kind rode of like on the horseback. Zombie. Yeah, kind of like, very or similar to the zombie. Um, so yeah, they were no joke. Um, they consistently battled with the U.S. Cavalry and the U.S. Army following the Civil War. Um, there are still there are still Apache around today, but again, it's not like mm-hmm. pretty much all these warrior groups is not the same as it was. Um, and just an interesting uh, note on. European Aboriginal conflict. 
So a lot of people think that um, basically Britain's interactions with the Powhatan nation where Pocahontas lived, that was the first European Aboriginal conflict. But, um, and I thought you'd think this is interesting given your Minnesota upbringing and your Nordic back, possibly Nordic <laughs> background. Um, so the Vikings were actually the first people to fight and battle with Native Americans in North America. That um, it was the 11th century uh, group of Vikings founded a settlement in Newfoundland uh, led by Thorvald Erickson, who was the son of Eric the Red and uh, Leif Erickson. Mm -hmm. So basically he's from the most famous Viking family <laughs> in history, like the yeah. Kardashians of, 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 of Viking lore, yeah. so to speak. Um, so he led that group of people and he was actually killed by an arrow, but they were, mm. they were modern. They were ancient, um, not ancient, but they were um, pre-modern Inuits. Yeah. So yeah, just interesting. So great. That rounds out our list. We've got, we've got a mean looking elite eight. Here. Yeah. We're going to have to uh, make, make these head to head matchups and then decide March madness <laughs> or March warrior madness. Something. I was trying to think of something clever to say. Yeah. We'll just say we'll just say our lead eight. So we're gonna go to a mid show break and then we'll come back and we'll do a we'll do the bracket of the century. Hello everybody. We're excited to introduce a brand new segment like we do every week. Um TG, you wanna take it away? I'm really excited about this one. Yes. Welcome to Tim's Tub Talk, where I, Tim, will give you all the tips and tricks you may need to come out feeling cleaner, fresher, and smelling better than before. So, first of all, when you get into the tub or shower, but we prefer a tub over here, um, make sure that you grab your best bar soap. You don't want any of those um, glorified detergents touching your skin. Disgusting. Um, make sure chemicals. you lather it up. Maybe those belong on a, in the Scioto River. <laughs> lather it up real good on your hands, maybe with a loofah. Maybe with one of those toilet brushes if you're a little cheap from the dollar store. <laughs> and just get all suds up. Make sure you get behind the ears. Make sure you get up in your nose. With the toilet and brush. Make sure you <laughs> make sure you really get between your toes. Um, but yeah, and after that, when you are washing your hair, make sure you start down at the roots. Get a real good massage in. Mm -hmm. um, and then work your way out to the ends. But then when you're conditioning, do that in reverse. Make sure you get your hair combed through. And then I honestly sometimes like to just take a little time to sit under the warm water and relax. Think Breathe. about think about my day. And then to really get my day started, I turn off the hot water and then I get cranked in the cold. And then I go crazy and it wakes up my brain and it stimulates me for the day. And then I say, go, go, go sell it buy it sell it buy it throw up maybe even a little bit and then my day is completely ready i walk out and i say come on world give it to me or i'll take it from you and that was today's episode of tim's tub talk yeah i know sometimes getting in the shower can feel like a, a treacherous unknown world uh thank you for this life advice i it, think it's it really a lot can Shower and bathe to their maximum potential. Yeah. Some people don't even know what's going on in there. I mean, PU. Yeah. Might as well be exploring the Amazon jungle trying to get into the shower. You know, it's this, it's this brave, new, brave new world for a lot of people. So, yeah. It's funny. For, for a, a, a podcast about bathtubs, we really have talked a little about uh, personal hygiene. <laughs> yes. Well, that's why I'm really excited for this new segment. And we can really get into it next week. Maybe even Tim's toothbrush tips. <laughs> Thank you, TJ. And without further ado, let's get back to our bracket of the century. Here we go. Oh, thank you. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Take it away. Here we go with the bracket for the deadliest warrior in human history we've got our round one matchups heading off with aztec versus samurai shaolin monk versus the zandi warrior the apache versus the french musketeer and the maori warrior versus the mongolian horde 
I have to tell you, Chad, this is my favorite part of the year. Oh, you know March it. came early in November. <laughs> da, 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 deadly, yes. Whoa, 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 warrior. Oh, grab the warrior and stab him. <laughs> um, yes, all right. I'm excited. I've got March Madness fever, and it's not even Thanksgiving yet. What's going on? Let's get it started with this bracket. All right, so we're going to start it off quick with the Apache versus the French Musketeer. Who you got? Yeah, that's an interesting matchup, Chet. Um, so as far as close-range combat, I have to give the advantage to the Apache. Oh, definitely. Def- deafness with the Tomahawk scalping. Um, now, both are both are suited for long-range warfare, but I think the Musketeer has a bit of an advantage in that, given the, given given the, the musket, musket ball's range. Yes, um, but... Honestly, he really only gets one shot with that. You know. That is true. Yeah, I mean, he, all, he, all he can really do is pull up from half court and then, man, <laughs> hope the defense isn't oh. there. <laughs> that's yeah, true, Chet. He'll, he'll, the, uh, the Apache coming in on the horse. Um, He's got one shot, and I don't trust a buzzer beater, Chet. <laughs> yeah, not from the French anyways. <laughs> so I think uh, how that would go down is probably the French Musketeer loads up, takes a shot, doubt with the accuracy of the musket that that it, that it will land from so far away He's also and then french so <laughs> yeah. and then um Apache's really, on horseback it's war cry he's from france he's never heard an apache war cry before. he yeah. doesn't know what's going on he's shivering his timbers <laughs> but yeah and then i think apache comes in with the bow and arrow even if it doesn't make contact he kind of just peppers him makes him makes him dance a little bit yeah he gets him scared <laughs> and then i think he comes in one swift blow from the tomahawk i mean he's not even the musketeer's not even wearing a helmet oh he's got yeah. his little french cap <laughs> yeah he doesn't yeah the apache doesn't even have to get out the horse to finish this this is a pretty cut and dry matchup i give that to the apache yep all right hands down apache moves on to round two ba, 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 apache <laughs> All right, cool. Next matchup, Chet. Let's go with the Shaolin Monk versus the Zondi Warrior. Now, this is one our analysts have been looking forward to all year, Chet. It's an interesting matchup. There's going to be grit. There's going to be skill. There's going to be a lot of spunk, too. There's going to be a lot of spunk in this matchup. Now, let's talk about the Shaolin strength. Clearly discipline, um, like we mentioned. They're used to meditating for years on end in caves. No one can match the Shaolins, not only... Not only discipline, but sense of focus. Um, but the Zandi Warrior is ferocious. Yes, the ferocity, the power, the psychological tactics. That is true. Um, yeah, the fearsome warrior of East Africa. Was it East or West Africa? East West Africa. East, yeah, <laughs> Central Africa. Central Africa. Um, man, this is tough. Um, I think the uh, the. The power here honestly probably goes to the Zondi Warrior. They are known as a conquering tribe. They're used to being the aggressor. Shaolin monks, a lot more defensive. That is true. I mean, hey, we do love a good defense, but it may win. Sometimes it wins championships, but not here. <laughs> so you want to give the advantage to the Zondi Warrior? I think I think so. Uh, to make one quick counter argument, I think I think the Zandi the Zandi Warrior is going to come in with a lot of energy. A lot of blind rage, but I think the Shaolin monk could outlast the Zandi warrior's energy. But um, I think the sword and the ferocity of the Zandi warrior would just be too much. I, I would I would agree with you. I'd give it to the Zandi. All right, moving on to round two, Zandi warrior. All right, now here we have an interesting matchup. The Maori versus the Mongol. That is interesting. So, hmm, where do you even begin? Where do we even begin, Chet? Well, the the Mongol does have the advantage of being on a horse. And honestly, both of these groups, their power comes from their uh, their strength, not as one, but in numbers. That is true. So as if we didn't explain this, this is a one-on-one matchup um, between these two great warriors. Now, I will admit the Mongol does have its strength. Um that they have they have the horseback which is big archery from horseback mongol definitely has the advantage long range but also the mari warriors way were way more independently minded now they were tribes but a lot of it was about them gaining personal glory and spiritual man on the battlefield i think that's mm-hmm. a, i think that's something that has to be considered going into this matchup 
Oh, definitely. And also, um, kind of try try to find the most neutral ground for these folks. But there really is a very hard way to find neutral ground. I mean, Maori <laughs> in the South Pacific, yeah. in kind of like a jungle rainforest, like on the beach. Mongols from the Eurasian steppe, just yeah, grasslands. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think maybe like maybe I don't know, maybe like a parking lot. <laughs> yeah, I do think the Maori warrior probably has the advantage just with the guerrilla tactics and not having to rely so much on the uh, the use of well planned out battle strategies. I have to say the Shark Tooth Club, the Stingray Spear, the Mary Club. It's 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 too much. It's a lot to handle. I think the Maori would be too much for the Mongol. I give it to the Maori. All right, that's the M and M matchup, and we give it to the Maori. The Slayer of the South Seas advances to the next round. Now, here's my favorite matchup. I think this is easily a, a one seed, sixteen seed matchup. <laughs> oh is, yes, but who knows? It could be maybe it's UMBC UVA. Hey, but probably not. <laughs> probably not. That's why it's a one and sixteen. The Samurai Warrior who existed and was very powerful for 300 plus years versus the Aztec Jaguar. Yeah. Samurai warrior and indifference to pain, an incredible amount of discipline, loyalty. Now that, that mm -hmm. is, that is, that is an aspect of, of combat. We've not talked about is is the motivation of loyalty that samurai, the life and death was owed to their daimyo that, um, that 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 is a big factor playing in that loyalty and, and devotion and conviction fuels battles. Mm -hmm. And I think while the Aztec warrior has certain advantages when it comes to glorifying their empire and glorifying the gods, it, it's it hard to match yeah. Samurai's unflinching loyalty and discipline and in total indifference to pain. Yeah. And it all comes down on the battlefield. I mean, even you said the Aztecs were more focused on capturing rather than killing. And so I think that, even in that sense, it's hard to do either of those two samurai. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> so I think also we're the both armor. In, yeah, armor. Samurai armor katana. Yeah, slice through human skin like butter. It. Yeah, who knows what I mean? Samurai's too much. Yeah, it was. It would attack that jaguar pelt like <laughs> nothing. So we're gonna go samurai on to round two. All also, right. just to sort of analyze a uh, uh, March Madness narrative. Um, Warriors associated with declining, collapsing empires have not done well. We got the French Musketeer Falls in the Elite Eight, <laughs> yeah. alongside the Aztec Warrior. Um, Alrighty. So yeah, it's being it'll be interesting to see how the rest of these narratives play out throughout the rest of the season. Chet definitely will. All right, so now we have the Apache Warrior versus the Maori. What now are again, we here interesting matchup. Tribal warriors known for their ferocity, for their hunger for blood. I mean. You've got both adept also in psychological warfare. You've got the Apache war cry, which is just echoed mm -hmm. throughout the and annals of American history. Yeah. Then you've the got Maori the Maori Haka, a fearsome sight to behold, a fear about, a fear to any rugby team on the opposing <laughs> field or the opposing side of the field. I don't know, Chad. This is a tough one. This is a really tough one. I mean, very honestly, very similar um, weapons as well coming to clubs, um, blades slightly little bit of distance weapons but not much right and i think another interesting narrative parallel is primarily combat with invading colonial powers you've got the apache struggle with the u.s cavalry and the u.s army and then the maori struggle with invading british so these are two warriors of a, of a, of a same vein in a similar class yes this one definitely will be coming down to the wire now again um i'm just partial to the maori set of weapons I think the sharp tooth club would be deadly at close range. Yes. The venomous stingray spear. Yeah. Would, would, would be that debilitating. That has some serious effectiveness. Even, even just one small nick with that. Right. Although I'll say, the the Apache's brutality. I think at close range would be a sight to behold. So it's tough. Any thoughts, Chet? It gets I, harder and harder as the season yeah, goes on. Yes. <laughs> the more and more we discuss this, the more and more things we find. The great, greater warrior. Better and better warriors show off, and it's hard to pick. But I do think that with the weapons and just everything else going into it, Maori, I think, will edge out the Apaches. I, yeah, I agree. Again, it's the Apache are, are corporately minded. Maori, strong drive to attain spiritual mana on the battlefield mm -hmm. to and find glory, glory to honor ancestors. Um, Again, 
the Maori's battles were at first battles of necessity that on an island there are a limited number of resources. I think I think that grit has to play into play a factor in this game, Chad. Grit is huge. Grit factor. <laughs> <laughs> All so, right. So Maori onto the championship. And now we have the samurai versus the Zondi. Again, I think this is one that the samurai just really takes um kind of by storm. Just right. The, I mean the, this the use ahead. the use of armor by the samurai. Right. Very big advantage versus the Zondi, because even though that can lend the Zondi a little bit of an advantage in mobility, Samurai were very mobile. Their armor, while it does exist, is light, is able to allow them to move a lot. Right. So I think that they will have maybe only slightly less mobility. Another interesting factor to consider, the Zondi Warrior, something that it really proved itself in the Elite Eight was its capacity for psychological warfare. I don't think the same tactics are going to work against the samurai. Again, not. unflinching discipline, years of military training. These are not these are not um, berserker warriors. These are cold, trained, stone cold killers. Not to mention that these samurai. We didn't even talk about the samurai consistently battle ninjas. Yeah, like known for their stealth. So I think that mm -hmm. I think the samurai has an advantage against stealth opponents, against um, more blind rage, fury, undisciplined opponents. Now, the Zondi are fearsome, formidable warriors in their own right. But again, I think the lack of armor plays at its disadvantage in this round. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, the Samurai's armor gives it a huge benefit to Katana. Again, it's unrivaled in in the in, chambers of weapon weaponry, uh, yes. weaponry history. So again, I think you're right. I think it's another Barnstormer. Samurai takes Zondi down. Yep. Oh, did you guys hear that ambulance, man? <laughs> we, are, we are fighting it out yeah. here. <laughs> yep. All right. I mean, we maybe have, that's for the zombie. <laughs> yeah. We have our championship matchup, the Samurai versus the Maori. And boy, this one is going to be intense. Both of these have fought some tough battles coming in. And I think we may need to call in an expert on this one. Right. Yeah, maybe. And maybe, uh, yeah, we, we did not trust our own opinion on this. Um, we wanted to call in one of the greatest shows of the podcast, one of the greatest friends of the podcast, uh, Actually, the only two-time guest yes. host, our friend Logan Eberhardt. Now, this is this is a matchup through the centuries. This is this is bigger than OSU Michigan, LSU Texas. I mean, this is a grudge match. Let's yep. see what our let's, let's see what, what our guest our, picker has to say. Let's see what our guest. Hello, you are on the podcast live, and we need your opinion. We couldn't come to a decision ourselves on this. Um, oh my gosh! So, through your your expert, deadliest warrior opinion. Um, give a little bit of, to give and take on both sides, but who do you think wins this matchup in the championship, the Samurai Warrior or the Maori Warrior? Ooh, I like a good Maori Warrior because they know the haka, like uh, Jason Moa. Right. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like uh, that's underrated, but um, I don't know. Samurai has way more armor, and they've got better weapons. They so, really do. That's been a I big talking point. I Samurai. Mm. Too much honor. Too much, Too much honor, honor at stake. <laughs> that is correct. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, because we really couldn't come to a decision on our own. We have seen these guys go through some tough battles on their way to the championship. Um, and uh, yeah. in your expert opinion, I think we trust you. Yeah, no. Again, thank you for being such a great friend of the podcast. We always appreciate hearing your voice. Um, of course. Thanks this, for having me. This was a grudge match for the centuries. We needed, we needed a third opinion. So thank you, Logan. All right, have a good night. Goodbye. And man, it seems like this March Madness season comes to a close in a surprising turn of events. The Samurai Warrior comes out on top and is the official bathtub full of questions, greatest warrior in human history. You know it, folks. You heard it here. If you ever come across a Samurai, maybe just don't. Walk the other way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know because, again, maybe to just talk a little bit more in depth, Mayari. Like, it's very similar to the Aztec and the Apache and the Zandi. Ferocious. Um, strikes fear into their enemies. Known for even eating them after after <laughs> after they killed them. Um, that That is a cold, blood bloodthirsty killing machine. But the samurai, again, too much honor, too much discipline. The katana is just the Cadillac of swords. <laughs> yeah. Stand, it was never, it stands no match. They were basically, I mean, samurai was pretty much, 
the Alabama offense during the national championship game this year. I mean, you got Jalen Waddle, Mac Jones, Devonta Smith, um, and Najee Harris all on the same team. It's too much. They were going to steamroll anyone that came across. So, yes, but we had, I think, a really good discussion today. I, I definitely so. learned a lot. Um, we hope that you did too. And so, we thank you for listening to this episode of Bathtub's Deadliest Warriors. Bathtub's <laughs> Deadliest Warriors. Now, remember, every time you step out of the house, if you're ever in trouble, summon the spirit of the samurai warrior and you'll be okay. Thanks, guys, for listening. Have a good evening. Go March Madness. Go Samurai and go Bucks. <laughs>